Welcome to Northgate Christian Fellowship's weekly message series. And now, here is Senior Pastor Ken Jensen. So about 15 years ago, there was a real um, big thing that kind of went on in the corporate world that actually kind of went all through our, our whole society, this whole idea of having a mission statement. Do you remember that? You know, it's like everybody had to have a mission. Every corporation had a mission statement. Every nonprofit had a mission statement. Every individual had to have a personal mission statement. And, um, you know, it was always filled with kind of these catchwords like empowerment and excellence and, and blah, 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 blah. You know, it just, and that's what it kind of became. It was just like, you know, everybody's got all of it, you know. And, and, and actually, I found this week, I was kind of doing some research, trolling the web, and I found a personal, a, a mission statement generator, okay? So, like, if you have a corporation and you haven't come up with a mission statement yet, um, they've got this thing up here, and we're going to try it this morning. Um, we're going to do this live, okay? So, we're just going to kind of roll the dice or pull the lever or whatever it is here. There it goes. Okay, here we go. We're going to come up with a mission statement this morning, We are dedicated to helping world-class dynamic metamorphosis from performance and integrity, discording all principles. <laughs> okay, let's try that one again. Yeah, you could just do this like all day, come up with all kinds of really cool mission statements, okay? It's got all those little catchphrases in there. Our business is dedicated to ensuring mediocre customer satisfaction from questionable methods and professionalism at the highest level. <laughs> All right, I think that's about as far as we're going to go with that. <laughs> There's a whole idea of mission statements, you know, and, 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 and it actually, they can become very inane and silly and meaningless, um, or they can really become powerful if, if they truly are at the heart of what you're all about. We came up with a mission statement for Northgate because, of course, we had to have a mission statement. And for 22 years, it has been our mission to help unchurched people become wholehearted followers of Jesus Christ. And that's an important mission statement. The reason it's important is because I think a lot of churches forget why they exist. We exist to have Sunday services. You know, we exist to have home life groups. We have, we have all these different reasons why we exist. But, but what's our real purpose we decided 22 years ago that as a church, our mission is to help unchurched people become wholehearted followers of Jesus Christ. That means we understand that there is a continuum. There is a process here. And the end goal is to have wholehearted followers of Jesus Christ. But we can never keep pursuing our desire to become wholehearted followers and forget about people who are outside the church. And you know where that mission statement came from? It actually came from Jesus. We're going through this study in the book of Luke, and, and one of the things that we're doing in this is we're, we're trying to get to the, to the heart of what was Jesus' mission all about, and, and how did he fulfill his mission so that we as a church could do that, because what's happened, I believe, too often is people's perception of the church has clouded their perception of Jesus. So as a church, if we're going to help unchurched people become wholehearted followers of Jesus Christ, then we have to change the perception that people have of the church. Because the very body, the very community that, that Jesus designed to carry on this mission has become part of the problem. So we're going all the way back and we're going to go through the whole book of Luke, the first half uh, this fall and the second half in the spring. We're just going to take a look at what did Jesus do? 
How did he do it? And, and we, we're going to look this morning in, in uh, Luke chapter 4. Um, because this is where Jesus announced his ministry. This is where he announced his mission. And if you have a Bible, uh, want to use one of the ones next to you. If you want to turn there, it's in Luke chapter 4. We're going to begin reading in verse 14. Jesus has already gone through his baptism at the Jordan with John the Baptist. He's been out now in the wilderness and, and succeeded where we said last week, where Israel had failed at every point, Jesus succeeded in, in battling temptation. He won the inner battle. Now he's about to go public. And he goes back to his hometown. He was raised in Nazareth. And he returns to Nazareth. It's a town, town of about two to 400 people. Small town, backwater town. Okay, But he goes there first. And in verse 14, we're told, Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. And news about him spread through the whole countryside. He was teaching in their synagogues and everyone praised him. So he went to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And on the Sabbath day, he went in, into the synagogue, as was his custom. And he stood up to read, and the scroll of the of prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it was written. The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, the recovery of sight to the blind, to set the oppressed free, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. And he began by saying to them, Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And all spoke well of him. They were amazed at his gracious words that came from his lips. He said, Isn't this Joseph's son? Jesus said to them, Surely you will quote to me the proverb, Physician, heal yourself. And you will tell me, Do in your hometown what we've heard you do in, in Capernaum. Truly, I tell you, he continued, no prophet is accepted in his hometown. I assure you that there were many widows in Israel in Elijah's time when the sky was shut for three and a half years and there was a severe famine throughout the land. Yet Elijah was not sent to any of them, but to a widow in Zarephath in the region of Sidon. And there were many in Israel with leprosy at the time of Elisha the prophet. Yet not one of them was cleansed, only Naaman the Syrian. And all the people in the synagogue were furious when they heard this. They got up and drove him out of town and took him to the brow of a hill on which the town was built in order to throw him off the cliff. But he walked right through the crowd and went on his way. Jesus said, this is my mission, to proclaim good news. That's it. This is why I'm here, to proclaim the good news. And though many in his hometown didn't understand that, didn't get it, throughout his ministry, many people did. And they were drawn to him. They came to him in droves because he preached good news. He proclaimed the good news. And people were hungry for it. And I got to tell you, folks, that has not changed in some 2,000 years. People are hungry for good news. The unfortunate thing, the unfortunate thing is so often when they look at the church, they're not getting good news. There's a disconnect. Why is it, why is it that people were so drawn to Jesus that they, they just couldn't get enough of what he had to say, and yet people look at the church with disdain and disappointment? That, 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 that can't be. 
If we are to be fulfilling this mission that Jesus started, if his mission statement is our mission statement, there is a complete disconnect between the way people were drawn to Jesus and the way that people tend to not be drawn to the church. And that's why we've said for the next couple of years, our whole goal is just to change the way people view the church. And the way we're going to do that is by making changes ourselves. Because the good news will never be good news unless they see it and hear it from you and me. And so some changes need to take place in your heart and mind for the good news to really be good news. And so we're going to kind of look at this and crack this open a little bit. And we're going to take a look at how can we make the good news good news again? How can we as a church change that perception that many people have of the church? How can me, how can I, how can you personally change the way people view the church? How can you and I make that good news good news again? And here's some changes I think that need to take place within us. I think the good news will really become good news again when we learn to value people instead of evaluating them. Because see, our tendency is to evaluate people. When Jesus saw people, he saw them with value. And, and that's why they were drawn to him. People who, had, who were admittedly far from God were drawn to him because they saw in him someone who had a sense of caring and love for them, that he truly valued people. This was his word. He stood up and he read from the prophet Isaiah. The spirit has anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight to the blind. He had set the oppressed free and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. That was his mission statement. And he sat down and he said, today, that scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. What he was saying is, my mission is good news. It's me. And it wasn't, they weren't drawn to him because he had a really nice mission statement. They were drawn to him because he lived his mission statement. It wasn't because he put it down on paper really nice and neatly. It's because it was the driving force behind everything that he did. When he encountered people, he encountered people. He walked through crowds and noticed individuals. And people who were the marginalized, the people who, who really didn't have much chance with God as far as they thought, saw in him, here was a chance. He truly loved people. And not only did he love them, he liked them. And sometimes there's a big difference. We say we love people. We just don't like them. <laughs> Jesus liked them. He cared about them. He saw value and worth in everyone. I, years and years and years ago, I heard a quote. I heard Bill Heibel speak. And he said these words, and they have stuck with me ever since. He said, you have never looked into the eyes of someone who does not matter to God. 22 years ago, I heard that sentence, and, and, I've, and I've tried to keep that in mind. Now, believe me, there's people I don't like, <laughs> and there's people I know that don't like me, <laughs> but, but if I could just look at people through those set of eyes and realize the person that I'm looking at right now matters to God. See, that's how Jesus looked to people. And look at the people, the people, that, the types of people he mentions, the poor, the prisoners, the blind, the oppressed. Now, 
understand, particularly in Jesus' culture, particularly in, in Israel at that time, there was really a sense that if somebody was poor, it was because it was God's punishment on them. If you were good, you were blessed by God. If you were poor, you must have done something wrong. If you were blind, it must be some kind of punishment for God. You might remember there's a story of Jesus. He's walking by and there's a blind man begging at the gate. And his disciples, his, his followers, the guys who were supposed to be getting it, they looked at this man and they said to Jesus, Lord, who sinned that this man was blind? Was it his sin or was it his parents' sin? Because that was the natural way of thinking. If somebody was suffering, they must have done something to deserve it. And in fact, once Jesus heals this guy and he tells him, now go to the, go to the temple and then make sure that they verify that you indeed have been healed. And, and they quiz him on this whole thing and they want to know who performed this healing. And he says, it's Jesus. And they say, well, we know this guy, he's a sinner. And we know you were, you were steeped in sin at birth. See, those were the judgments that people made about the oppressed and the poor and the, and the, the ill and the, the leprous, all of those. That was the natural judgment. Now, we don't look that, at people that way nowadays. But I'll tell you what we do. We look at people and we make some kind of judgment about them. When was the last time you looked at someone who was begging on the street and thought to yourself, I'd give them money, but they're just going to spend it on booze? That's an evaluation. Now, it might be a correct valuation. I'm not saying that, but it's an evaluation, and that's the problem. Jesus didn't look at people that way. He saw people of value. We are so obsessed with evaluating. We want to know worth. We want to know in everything. Not we, we do it in people. We do it. We, we, we want to know how much is our house worth. Oh, man, I'm underwater now, you know? Uh, it's, we're always checking the value of, of, of everything. We want to know what's our net worth. How are we doing? Oh, how much have I got in my IRA? How much? You know, oh, man, you know, I can't afford my... Whatever it is, we're always assigning value to things. You have a car. You get in an accident, okay? And, and you want to get your, your insurance company to pay off. So what you do is you look in something that tells you the value of your car. It's called a, a blue book, yeah. I heard the other day, the reason they call it blue is... That's how you feel when you realize how much your car is worth. <laughs> but, but we're obsessed with that. We're always assigning worth and value. Is somebody worth my time or not? Jesus didn't do that. He saw people with value. The ancient world, much like our world today, was extremely stratified. Okay, Everybody fit at a certain level. You had, you had the high priest... You had chief priests, you had regular priests, and then you had Levites. You know, they weren't really priest material, but they were in the priestly line, so you had to give them a job, okay? And, and, and it was true all the way across. Men rated higher than women, who rated higher than children. It was all stratified. And everybody was trying to figure out, much like today, maybe not the same stratification, but much like today, we're always evaluating where do we fit in the pecking order? Am I in the upper third of my class? I'm not. You find in Jesus over and over again that he is looking at people just for who they are. Because that was part of his mission. You go on and he says, he finishes it with this sentence. And and this is something he says, part of my mission is to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Now what he's referring there to is something that all, anyone who grew up Jewish knew. 
Because it was part of the Torah. It was, it was part of the instructions. It was part of the instructions that God gave through Moses to the nation of Israel before they entered into the promised land. And one of the things he talked about was remembering the Sabbath day, keep it holy. But he said also, remember the Sabbath of years. That every seven years there was a Sabbath year. And on the Sabbath year you don't plant crops. You let the, you let the ground lay fallow. You let it rest. And, and there was something that was called the year of Jubilee. Now, the year of Jubilee was the Sabbath of Sabbath years. So every 50th year, see, there would be seven years of seven, and then that seventh year was a Sabbath year, and then seven more years, and that 14th year is a Sabbath year, and then, you know, and on and on it went until you got to seven sevens, and you got to the 50th year, the one after 49, and that was to be called the year of Jubilee. And, and the, God established this. He establishes for the nation of Israel. And what happened in the year of Jubilee that anybody who had lost property or had to sell some of their property because, um, because they couldn't afford the payments on it and they needed to get out from under the, whatever it was, at the year of Jubilee, it was, like a, it was like a reboot. Everybody gets their property back. Every debt is canceled. Wouldn't you like a year of Jubilee right about now? You know? I mean, that was a deal. This is what Leviticus 25. Consecrate the 50th year and proclaim liberty throughout the land. That's the year of the Lord's favor. It shall be a jubilee for you. Each of you is to return your family and property and to your own clan. Wherever you've been, however you've gotten yourself into debt, whatever has come up upon you, everybody gets a fresh start. And whatever land you have bought, whatever, you know, Servants you took because they couldn't afford to pay you back. Whatever debt that was incurred, you cancel all debts. Everybody goes back to square one. Start all over again. Now, why did God do that? He did it for this reason. This was meant to be a reminder that your net worth is not a measure of your, soul, your self-worth. It was a reminder that everything you have comes because God gave it to you as a gift, not because of your shrewd business acumen. It was a reminder that whatever you have is not yours to keep, that eventually you're going to have to let go of it one way or the other. And so this is a reminder every 50 years to just let go. What it was... And a lot of people say the Old Testament's about the law and the New Testament's about grace. What it was was grace. All debts canceled. Everybody starts with an even slate. Everything's made even again. And what Jesus is saying when he says, I'm here not only to preach this good news, but the good news, everybody gets a fresh start. It's a year of jubilee. Everybody starts at the same place with God. Everybody gets a new chance. And that's why it's so much a part of his mission statement, because he's saying, that's what I've come to declare. That whatever you've done, wherever you've been, however you've messed up, whatever you, however far you might think you are to God, or however close you might think you are to God, everybody starts the same all over again. And he truly looked at people through those set of eyes. And if the good news is going to be good news in our day, then we have got to learn to stop evaluating people and just start valuing them. And if we do, I think the good news will once again become good news. Something else. The good news will become good news 
when we turn our intentions into actions. Because see, you can have all those good feelings towards people, but if you don't do anything about it, you really don't have much. And that's the thing he said. See, the thing about Jesus, he didn't just talk a good line, he lived it. He said before everyone in synagogue, today this scripture is fulfilled in your, in your hearing. He's saying, I'm the one. I'm, this is it. This is my mission. This is that day. This is the thing you've been longing for. But he didn't just talk about it. He actually did it. His job was to make up there come down here. And that too is our mission. See, sometimes we have reduced the gospel to, I get saved so I get into heaven when I die. And reduced the gospel to merely salvation. Now, don't get me wrong. Salvation is a very, very big part of it. But it's not all of it. When Jesus taught us to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done, it's through me. See, part of our mission is to be that kingdom bringer. To, to help make the kingdom of God become a reality here on this earth. And we do that not just with our intentions, but with our actions. What made Jesus' good news really good news is he did what he said he would do. He touched lepers and healed them and cleaned them. The unclean. And, 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 and you read through it and you notice he always touches them when they're still unclean. He doesn't stand back and say, okay, I heal you. Okay, now let's shake hands. Okay. So he reached out and touched them while they were still unclean. He wasn't, he wasn't afraid of being made impure for touching somebody who was impure. He touched them first and healed them. See, he, he did this stuff. When, when John the Baptist was imprisoned and, and was given a death sentence, and he's, laying, he's sitting in prison, and, he's, and, he, and, he, and he knows the declaration that he made about Jesus. And he was there when Jesus was baptized and, and heard the voice of the Father saying, This is my Son with whom I'm well pleased, whom I love. He heard all those things, but now he's in jail. And he's thinking, you know, did I do the right thing? Did I get the right guy? And so he sends some of his disciples to talk to Jesus. And he said, Lord, he said, ask him. Are you the one that we're expecting or should we look for someone else? And Jesus says, go back and tell John these things. Go back and report to John what you've seen and heard. The blind receive sight. The lame walk. Those who have leprosy are cleaned. The deaf hear. The dead are raised. And the good news is proclaimed to the poor. See, he said, go back and tell John what's happening. He pointed to the things that he was doing. And he said, now... It's happening. It's happening. Now, you and I cannot go and touch somebody and heal them. Well, maybe you can't. I can't. It's never worked for me, okay? I can't do those kinds of miracles, certainly not in my own strength. I pray for people. I, I do what I can. But, but here's the deal. Sometimes we think the problem's so big, I can't do anything. And because the problem's so big and I can't do anything, I do nothing, Nobody can do everything. The problem is bigger. The problems are bigger. Nobody can do this all. But every one of us in this room can do something. And that's the point. Jesus did something. Not everybody, not everybody that Jesus encountered got healed. Not every blind person got their sight back. Not everybody did. But that didn't stop him from touching those who did get healed, who did get cleansed, who did get forgiven, 
See, that's the whole thing. Because what Jesus came to establish was, was communities, little communities all around this world that would be the extension of what he came to do. And that means it's you and me. That, that, that we can do something. You can't do everything, but you can do something. A couple of weeks ago, we went out to dinner. Actually, it was just last week. I went out to dinner Friday night. And... Um, Went to one of our favorite Mexican food restaurants, not, not in town. Um, okay, no, no, no offense to anybody who owns a Mexican restaurant in town, okay? But we went to this one of our favorite Mexican, I, 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 Chile, Colorado is like one of my favorites. And it's like, this place is like, it's a huge plate. And I couldn't finish it all. And believe me, you know, usually it's Betty who takes on the doggy bag. You know, I, I, I had to get the box. So, so I get the box and I, you know, they fill it all up and I've got everything in. And, and, I'm, and I'm thinking to myself, well... Yeah, but we're, we're, you know, Sunday after church, we're heading out of town. We're not going to be around. I'm not going to have time to, tomorrow. I'm going to, you know, I, I don't know when I'm going to eat this, but I'm going to take it home anyway. You know? So I, I have my little box and I'm walking out the door. And as we're walking out the door, there's two guys sitting on the bench right outside the door. And they said, we are really, really hungry. Could you give us something to eat? You know, and I'm being half deaf. I didn't even hear him. But, but Betty stopped and she said something. And I had my box and I said, sure. So I, you know, I gave him my food. Because I figured, well, you know, I wasn't probably going to get around to it. It would probably spoil my refrigerator anyway. And I thought, well, I, I felt pretty good about that. And then I was walking away, and I thought, you know, if tomorrow I was really planning on eating that for my lunch, would I have done that? You know, if it would, and I don't know the answer to that. It just, it just raised the question in my own mind because I was feeling pretty good about it. Well, I'm doing something like Jesus did. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm practicing what I'm preaching, you know, I'm, Feeling pretty good about myself. And it, and it just struck me. You know, w- would you have done that if you were planning on eating that tomorrow for lunch? And it, and it just kind of was one of those checks, one of those gut checks for me. Because, see, if I just do it when it's convenient for me, well, that, that's a good thing. But if I do it because I truly care about this person, that's something altogether different. And my prayer just became... God, help me to be the kind of person that would do it anyway. Help me be the kind of person that would, would share like that whether or not I wanted to eat the leftovers or not. Because that's what we want to be. It's the kind of people we want to be. We don't just do it when it's convenient. We do it because it's what Jesus would do. And I think the good news truly becomes good news when we learn to do that. And, and by the way, this is why being part of a community group is so important. And especially as we're starting them up this week. Um, because in community groups, you're going to have to start sharing your stories. And you're going to be challenged to do something. Each week, we're giving you something to do. And, and you're going to be asked it the next week, you know, did you do it? Because we're going to start holding each other accountable on this kind of stuff. Because we can come together on a Sunday morning. We can hear a message. We can be moved in our hearts or not. And walk out of here and think, oh, now I'm a better, now I'm a better Christ follower. But, but if we're not challenging each other and stretching each other and pushing each other and holding each other accountable a little bit, it'll just be words. And, and that's why we're, we're, we're really encouraging everybody, get in a community group because we're going to learn this together. All of us in, in little communities, learning together, studying together, challenging each other, holding each other accountable. We're going to change the way people see the church because we're going to start looking at people differently and we're going to start turning our intentions into actions because then the good news will really be good news. 
one thing that's really, really interesting. I told you about the year of Jubilee. There is no record anywhere in all of Israel's history that they celebrated the year of Jubilee. Nowhere. Nowhere in the scriptures, nowhere in extra biblical, historical evidence. There's no record that Israel really did this. They knew about it. They preached it on Sunday mornings, Saturday nights. <laughs> but there's no record that they actually did it. And, and see, that's the problem. We can learn all this stuff. But if we don't do it, it really doesn't become much. My last one. Good news will truly become good news when we look at people with compassion instead of condemnation. Because in our evaluations, we're always quick to make judgments. And we tend to be quick to condemn. Did you notice something as we read that story? The change in the crowd's attitude? Did you catch that? Did that kind of strike you as strange at all? I mean, it begins in verse 15. He was teaching in their synagogues and everyone praised him. Then in verse 22, all spoke well of him and were amazed. And then you get to verse 28 and it says, they were furious when they heard this. So much so they wanted to throw him off a cliff. Whoa. I've had some reactions to sermons. (laughs) But thankfully, I've never had that one. (laughs) I mean, that that is a huge change. I mean, that is, that is from one extreme to the other. What caused such a violent reaction? What, why, what, what, what's going on here? That, that's just, like, that, just mind-blowing. What's going on? Well, you get to the heart of it when you see what Jesus said just before that whole change took place. Again, let me give you a little bit of history. There are a lot of different groups, a lot of different sects that were looking for the kingdom of God to come, okay? But they all had different ways that they believed it was going to come. There, were, there, were, there was a group called the Zealots, okay? The Zealots were exactly what their name says. They were the kind of guys that said, we got to throw off this Roman oppression. If we just got more power, if we just got a little more courageous and bold, if we just really just stood up for ourselves and, and kind of violently pressed forward, we could throw off the Roman oppression and the kingdom of God would be ushered in. That was the zealot's way of bringing in the kingdom of God. We just got to be bolder. We just got to be stronger. We just got to be more in their face. You know, we, we just got to gotta do this through power. We just got more power. We could do this. And then there was a group that were called uh, the Pharisees. And the Pharisees, they were kind of like the religious conformers. They said, no, 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 that's not the problem. The problem is that we just got to get back to the Bible. We just got to get back to Torah. We got to do what the Torah says. The problem is the kingdom of God isn't here because we're not acting like the kingdom of God. So we got to study more and we got to re- make these reforms and we got to become pure. We got to become better people. We got to become more religious people. And that's why they're always accusing Jesus. That's why they're always on his trail because they're, they're, their job is to make sure people are conforming to the Torah. And, and, they, and when we do that, when we do that, then the kingdom of God will be ushered in. And then there was a group called the Essenes. And they were kind of along the lines of the, of, of the Pharisees, but they said, no, 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 this, this kingdom, this is beyond salvation. What we got to do is we got to pull back into our little cloister. We got we to purify ourselves. We got we to withdraw from the world. We, we got to stand back and, and just come together and, and form this holy, holy community. We got we to just become pure and holier. And when we do that, then the kingdom of God will usher in. There was a group called the Sadducees who really didn't have all that much interest in the kingdom of God. 
they kind of believed in it, but they thought, you know what? It may never come, so we just got to go along to get along, you know? We're just going to kind of get with the system and work within the system. And if, and if we do that, if we be good boys and girls and, and the Romans don't get too mad at us, eventually they'll start leaving us alone. They had all these different ideas about how the kingdom of God was going to come. But the one thing they were all agreed on is when the kingdom of God comes, it's going to be good, and it's going to be good for us going to be good for us and it's going to be bad for our enemies because you mess with the people of God and so they were all looking forward to the kingdom of God they were all expecting the kingdom of God they all wanted the kingdom of God to come they all had different ideas about how it's going to come but one thing they all agreed on is when the kingdom of God comes good for us bad for them and so that's what they're all expecting and what gets them so mad is Jesus, Jesus goes back and he pulls out some things from Israel's history. Some of the greatest prophets, Elijah and Elisha. But he doesn't talk about their ministry among Israel. He says things like there were many widows in Israel in Elijah's time, yet Elijah was not sent to any of them, but to a widow in Zarephath in the region of Sidon. There was a famine in the land. And the rain was held back, and Elijah went to a widow who had her last meal, and because she took him into her home, God provided a meal for them every day that the oil and the flour never ran out. And every day they had something to eat. And Jesus pulls that little instance out of this great ministry of this great prophet of Israel, and he says, you know, there are all kinds of widows, there are all kinds of people in Israel that could have got in on this, but none of them got it. This, this widow over here, in another country called Sidon. And, and Elisha, he said, there were many people in Israel with leprosy at the time of Elisha the prophet, yet not one of them was clean except Naaman the Syrian. There were all kinds of Israelites, there were all kinds of Jews who needed, needed this kind of, but, but, but he didn't heal those people. It was a Syrian over here. And see, what gets them so mad, what stirs them all up is, what Jesus is saying is, this isn't just for you. What he's saying is, look at the history. God has never been just about you. Yes, he said, you will be my people, but through you, you will be a blessing to the whole world. And look at the history. Look at Elijah. Look at Elisha. It wasn't just to Israel. It was to, it was to Sidon. It was, it was to Syria. And that's what gets them all stirred up because they're all looking for the kingdom of God, but they want it good for me, bad for them. And Jesus said, no, this is good for everybody. And that's what they don't like. <laughs> That's what they're all about. Because they want judgment. We've been under this oppression for far too long. We want good for us and punishment for everybody else. Jesus said, no, that's not the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is good news for everybody. When the church has started to leverage other things besides love and compassion and mercy and grace of God, we lose. When the church looks to get political power and solidifies a voting block so we get voices heard in Washington, we lose power. When we, when we just pull back into a holy huddle and don't engage with people in our lives who need to know this good news, we lose. We lose. When we think it's all about just being good little Christians and we forget that there's a world that needs to know this good news, we lose. 
was talking last Sunday after church on the patio with one of our students, high school student. And he had his first experience with this. He had been to the flea market. And the first time he'd ever seen this, there was this one of these preachers with a sandwich board, you know, the whole thing, you know, condemning everybody. And he's just going around, he's pointing at people and saying, you need to repent, blah, blah, blah. And he was just going on and on, yelling and screaming at people. And he said, I just wanted to go over to him, put my hands on his shoulder and say, dude, shut up. <laughs> I said, you should have done that. <laughs> You're not helping. You're not helping because that's what people see when they see the church. That's what comes to their mind. People who are condemning, people who are judging, people who are telling us all the things we're doing wrong. And what people need is good news. And that's what Jesus did. Now, I know what you're thinking. If I do that, then, then aren't I condoning their behavior? You know what? That never seemed to be a problem for Jesus. He never seemed to worry about that. He just loved people. And he looked at people with compassion. He didn't look for ways to condemn. He looked for ways to come alongside, to help and to heal. And that's why, that's why his good news was such good news. Robert Mulholland said this, Spiritual formation is the process of being conformed to the image of Christ for the sake of others. I love that. It's not just being conformed into the image of Christ. It's being conformed into the image of Christ for the sake of others. So, here is your change the way people view the church assignment for this week. It's going to be real simple. Do some random act of kindness for somebody you don't know. Just do something kind for somebody you don't know. You might pay the toll for the car behind you and the, crossing the bridge. You might buy somebody a cup of coffee and then walk out the door before they can say thank you. you know, just, and, and if you want bonus, extra credit, do an act of kindness for somebody you don't like. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> a little pushback on that one. But, but here's the deal. If we're going to change the way people see the church, we've got to change the way the church sees and treats people. And we're just going to do it a little at a time baby steps, but we're going to do this together, all right? Yeah, some of you, not me. All right? All right. Let's bow in prayer. Thank you for listening to this week's message. We trust that you'll join us again soon for another uplifting message from Northgate Christian Fellowship located in Benicia, California.